At one point this offseason, I declared that the 2019 Cincinnati Reds would be sneaky good. The Reds then started the year 1-8, and eight, so there's that. What's up, everybody? I'm Tara Wellman. Welcome back to Bird Seeds. This is another series preview, and if you've been here before, well, you know how this goes. If you're new here, I cover the St. Louis Cardinals for birdsontheblack.com, and I create daily and weekly content for this channel, Bird Seeds, which you can subscribe to to stay in the loop and entertained. Now, as I mentioned, this is about the Cincinnati Reds, and the Cardinals will play the Reds in unfamiliar territory. They are headed to Monterrey, Mexico today, and they will be there throughout the weekend. But to get an idea of what's going on with this Reds team that added a lot of impressive pieces and then started the year screeching to a grinding halt, I am bringing back one of my guests from last year, Wick Terrell, from Red Reporter, helping me break it all down. Wick, thanks for joining me again today. It's been a while since we last talked, and I was just revisiting our last conversation, and it was immediately after the change of regime last year for the Reds, and the changes haven't really stopped. So uh, has anything settled into any sort of normal yet for the Reds right now? <laughs> yeah, so what was it? The 3-18 and 18 start last year that got Brian Price fired. I think only uh, he went 3-15 and 15 before he got fired, and then they came out this year despite a completely overhauled roster, dug out everything and started one and eight. So it's um, it's been a back-to-back -back Aprils of uh, wondering what the heck is going on with the Reds. But um, I think they're in a much, much better place now than they were this time last year. I We, you know, it, it, with a full offseason to be able to kind of sit back and reflect on it, we kind of all said, okay, hopefully last April was the bottom of this five-year plan of rebuilding and everything else. And, um, you know, there was a very long stretch last year. I mean, obviously, they, they slumped down the stretch in September, but they played 500 baseball for about about 100 games through the middle of the season last year. And when they had all their pieces together and healthy, looked like they had a pretty good foundation. And then, obviously, the moves they made this winter were not – um, by any means, moves for the future. They were moves for 2019. And so um, I think we were right to have some optimism about what best case scenario could be uh, for the 2019 Reds. It's not exactly played out that way yet, but I think they do still have uh, a definitely a more fun roster and definitely a more talented roster and one that's got uh, more proven experience. I mean, they had a lot of young talent that they were banking on improving over the last couple of years that, you know, if they reached their peak and reached their progression, things would have been a lot better. Um, that didn't happen. And it's almost like they said, okay, well, we've got to, we've got to skip that step now and make sure we've got somebody who can play baseball this year. Uh, and they did. And so I expect that to continue to improve a little bit more than uh, the one and eight start. But yeah, compared to where they were this time last year, it's uh, it's night and day. Yeah, at least more fun to watch as far as the, the possibilities of things you might see in any given game. The, the Reds have made it 11 games into this season and they're playing right now and have held the Marlins scoreless so far. They've allowed the fewest runs in the National League <laughs> for Reds pitching as <laughs> bad as it's been for so long uh seeing that it's almost um you know they're three and eight hopefully going to be four and eight if they can pull off this one today um you would think that if if the reds had that good pitching at any point over the last few years their offense was gonna be good enough to win a lot more games than that so um for us it's almost like a, a respite looking at the the runs allowed numbers as opposed to the record because something is actually like going right <laughs> where they tried to fix it and did and hopefully the rest can fall in place because uh yeah it's uh it's it's weird. It's weird losing games this way. We've lost games the other way 
way for years and years and years. Um, it's funny to see it kind of the flip-flop inverse now. So Let's talk about some of those additions because they added pitching. They added big power hitters like Yasiel Puig, who in that ballpark should just destroy baseballs all year. They added a little bit of everything to kind of give this roster, like you just said, a a win-now feel in a division that's going to be really tough for anyone to win. So what was your biggest takeaway from the additions that were brought in over this offseason and the maybe like realistic expectations because everyone sees changes and thinks that that maybe, you know, unrealistic things are going to happen. But there's certainly potential in all of those additions. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned that because just looking looking through our small sample of eleven games, uh, thank God they got Derek Dietrich, uh, they got Jose Iglesias, <laughs> and they got Kyle Farmer uh, because those three guys who that's the bench. Uh, Dietrich hit three home runs, won them opening day with a pinch and three run home run. Jose Iglesias came in on a minor league deal as well, and watching him play shortstop and he's performed with incredibly well with the bat in clutch situations early this year. Uh, how he didn't get signed to a big league contract, um, you know, we were talking last night because he had a phenomenal game. Uh, the Tigers non-tendered him to basically pay Jordy Mercer more money than they were going to have to owe him to play shortstop for one year. Uh, and looking the way he played defense last night and has at shortstop throughout the the, the early start. Uh, it's fascinating that they got him on that deal. Um, you know, obviously these are the peripheral moves, but they were also moves that said, okay, we've, we've got to have a better bench. We haven't had a bench for years. Um, and you look at the moves they made in the outfield as well, bringing in Matt Kemp and Yasiel Puig. Um, obviously they wanted to get Puig. They, they took Kemp in part so they could get rid of Homer Bailey's contract. Um, but the fact that they wanted to go get Yasiel Puig when they knew they had Scott Shepler and Jesse Winker. Um, they knew they had Nick Senzel, who they were trying to run out at center field this year as well. They, they, they were trying to build in as much quality depth as they possibly could this winter. And I think those moves um, suggested uh, a, a very win-now approach, too, because obviously those are two guys that are in the final year of their um, team control. And so there's a lot of guys like that that they brought in. But the pitching additions were the ones that I think were the most immediate uh, turn the page kind of moves. Um, you know, they've been patient as could be with guys like Robert Stevenson and Cody Reed and Sal Romano, young guys who looked like they potentially could break out and be mid rotation starters at the big league level and just didn't for two years running and just didn't. And uh, I think the Reds finally realized, OK, we've got to move past that. We've got to get established guys. That's the difference because our pitching has been terrible. And so, um, you know, Tanner Rourke, Sonny Gray, and obviously the extension of Sonny Gray means they want to keep him around. Um, you know, those are two veteran pitchers that when they're on their game can be mid to top rotation guys. And, uh, you know, I think that's in the early going, it's already done a great job of helping solidify what the Reds have. Um, Alex Wood's been hurt. has got a back issue that's kept him out for most of the year. But um, he was very much in the same mold of guys who have been established big league starters and had great success for a couple of years. Uh, bring them in as well. And, you know, it wasn't just you know, these, that's what, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 big names that they've all brought in. Uh, they didn't have to give up a lot to do it either. And I think that's the biggest part about this is that, um, you know, if they, we, they've got so many guys and even some established guys that were on the team, guys like Scooter Jeanette, when he gets back, um, they've got seven or eight guys who are all going to be free agents after this year. And so uh, they set themselves up to be very good to start this season. And then, at the middle of the year come trade deadline, who knows where they're going to go? You know, if they're two games over 500 and four games out of uh, the lead in the Central, 
what do you do? You know, do you trade Puig and Kemp and Scooter and Rourke and Wood, all these guys, um, or do you keep them and, and ride it out? Um, you know, that's it's roughly, I think, $63 million of payroll that's set to come off the books after this year. And so uh, they bolstered 2019, but didn't sacrifice the future and what they gave up. And even if this year doesn't work out, they've got as much payroll flexibility to go out and do it again this winter if they want to, if any team in baseball. And so um, it's a very interesting strategy, not one that I, I think I, I expect, definitely not what I expected. <laughs> uh, I expected them to make big moves this offseason, but not so hyper-focused on 2019. But uh, the more I look at it, the more it kind of signals, hey, uh, we're going to be better this year. We're going to be more fun. We didn't sacrifice the future, and we still have any option we want to go with uh, beyond this season. And so um, it's um, it's tough to not really know which direction they're going beyond this way, but it is cool to know they've built in that flexibility, I guess is the best way to describe it. So. Yeah, that's that's been the interesting part to watch, um, just as, as a bystander really watching whatever it is that they're doing. Because at first, you know, the moves start happening and you're kind of going, huh, interesting. Interesting. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, a few more things happen and you go, Okay, I kind of get it. <laughs> um, and it does. It does create so many options that, I mean, I've, I've been saying for a while now that I, I feel like the Reds are going to play a, a, a significant role in determining the NL Central one way or another um, because of all of the possibilities and the things that could happen uh, with, with the guys that they've brought in. So it's... Um, it's been fascinating to watch them over the offseason. Of course, you mentioned getting off to such a, a, a problematic start, particularly offensively, which is not what anyone expected from this team. What's been the biggest struggle with this team? Now, they've they've sort of turned it around, scored a bunch of runs in the last couple of games. What was the biggest issue getting past that that first week of baseball? It's it's really, really hard to pinpoint. Um, you know, <laughs> the, the offense is the one thing that this team should have had to not, never really worry about. You know, And obviously... It is worth mentioning, you know, I mentioned Scooter Jeanette. He is out for eight to 12 weeks, and that was a late spring uh, injury, and he's obviously been a fantastic offensive force the last couple of years. Uh, Nick Senzel, top prospect, who we all kind of hoped was going to make the roster out of spring training, didn't, and then immediately sprained his ankle the day after he got sent down to minor league camp. Uh, he's a guy who's a consensus top 10 prospect and, and looks the part of being an offensive force once he gets the chance to get back up here. So uh, they did lose a couple pieces earlier, but still, uh, you know, you, you're talking about a lineup that's got, uh, you know, Joey Votto, Eugenio Suarez, Scott Shebler, uh, Yasiel Puig, Jesse Winker. I mean, that's two 400 on base percentage guys from last year, five guys who have hit 25 plus home runs. Like the, the offense should have been okay. Yeah. Uh, and it just fell completely flat. And, you know, uh, I was actually looking back through box scores today. It's not like they got started off playing the nationals and the Mets, you know, it wasn't Syndergaard and DeGrom and, and Scherzer and Strasburg doing it. Um, if anything, the best pitcher they faced in their one and eight start was Jameson Tyon. And that's the guy they actually hit. So <laughs> yeah. It just it was it's a really, very Cardinals thing to do there is yeah, to exactly, get right? shut um, out by the, you know, rookie yeah. making his major league debut or something. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, and the, the toughest part about it also was it was all division games, too. Yeah. It was the, the Pirates and Brewers. And so immediately they were you know behind the eight ball when it came to the division record, um, which was super frustrating to watch, especially because it's guys you're familiar with. I mean, it's mm -hmm. all. You know, Trevor Williams has had a phenomenal run since the middle of last year, and he's already faced the Reds twice and looked very much the part of being a, a top of the rotation guy. Um, yeah, it just it was weird. They're striking out a little bit more than they did last year. Uh, obviously, the walks haven't been there either. It just looks like they're a little bit sluggish at the plate. Um, it's my my coffee's uh, 
I'm turning off right now. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it was one of those things where you look up and there was so much uh, turnover in uh, new guys in the dugout, new guys on the uh, on the roster, pressure to kind of perform this year. Um, new coaching staff too. I mean, they they hired Turner Ward away from the Dodgers, and you know he's obviously what you know what the Dodgers did offensively last year and what they've continued to do after he left. Um, signals that he certainly knows what he's doing and is able to work with teams that can be offensive forces. Um, it just seems like nothing has quite clicked yet, and hopefully that fourteen to nothing game two days ago is kind of the. Uh, the deep breath settled in and, and go from here kind of moment. Um, but then last night they scored two runs late and they haven't scored again today either. So uh, I think they're going to hit. And it's one of those things that, it, you know, obviously if hitting is contagious, um, everybody's going to break out because there's not anybody who's hit well yet. So, uh, there are a lot of guys that are hoping for regression to happen right now. And I think it will at some point, hopefully, hopefully not after it's too late, like it was last year. Um, but yeah, it's been really, really interesting to, to, to watch it play out because uh, there are no obvious holes in this in this lineup. It's not like, um, you know, it's not like the last couple of years where you had uh, Zach Cozart pre-breakout and you had Billy Hamilton leading off. There, there aren't those kind of offensive black holes in this in this lineup, and so um, hopefully they can all kind of turn it on soon because I think when they when they do, and it, it's going to be pretty uh, pretty impressive to watch. As is the nature of baseball, things tend to change quickly when they start changing. As an example, I was just saying that the Cardinals took three of four from the Dodgers. Well, the Cardinals are also playing right now, and we're down three nothing early. Now they're up by a run. So these things, uh, the the timing of of some of this stuff, you just never know when that that. Uh, switch is going to be flipped. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the division. I want to ask you about that, but I want to circle back. You, you mentioned the new coaching staff. Um, the Cardinals also dealing with a, a number of new guys on their coaching staff this year. And it's always an interesting conversation to try to figure out how much those guys are having an impact when you can start to see the result of the work that they're doing. Cardinals brought in Jeff Albert, new hitting coach, who's known for a lot of the the his ability to sort of translate kind of the analytic information to players who maybe don't speak that language and then they struck out I think double digit strikeouts in the first eight or nine games of the season and we were all going you're supposed to be the contact guy (laughs) what happened there um so when you look at a new coaching staff is there anything it's so hard to, to put a finger on anything at this point, but what is the takeaway so far from the the little bit that you've seen and the way that guys are responding at this point? Um, I think, so obviously David Bell's the, the, the new manager and has never been a big, big league manager before. He's been a bench coach. He was a bench coach with the Cardinals, uh, managed it, uh, AAA in uh, the Red System for, I think, three or four years, years ago. Obviously had a very long playing career and is, you know, a, a budding uh, name in the business. I mean, he was even up for the running for uh, the, the Giants GM position in the front office. And so he's a guy who's got front office and dugout experience. Never heard anyone he's, say a bad thing about him. Yeah. <laughs> he's obviously got great Cincinnati ties, too. He's from there. You know, Buddy Bell and Gus Bell both played for the Reds years and years ago. So it was kind of a, a homecoming of that. But you didn't really know what to expect because you just didn't have uh, you know, bigly data to, to, to look at. And so um, what we've seen from him so far when he hasn't been suspended from being in a brawl in Pittsburgh, uh, which conveniently enough, that was the one game the Reds scored 14 runs. Um, he's shown a lot of, of forward thinking defensively, I think is the most clear thing that we can see so far. Uh, they're playing the Marlins right now. Curtis Granderson's let off every single game of the series and they've gone with a four man outfield for that. Um, they've, Shifted extremely on, uh, you know, pull happy left-handed hitters. 
Um, and you've seen at least a little bit. Uh, it's not just, you know, it's not just putting guys where they're going to hit the ball. It's pitching to contact for that way, too, because uh, you've seen pitchers attack a lot of left-handed pitchers in, or left-handed hitters inside on those situations, too. And it's clear that, you know, it was clear when he was hired that he was planning on using a lot more data and analytics than what the Reds had used for years. And, you know, Brian Price obviously was a, a pitching coach who had also never been a manager before he took over. Uh, but he was a pitching coach during the Dusty Baker years. And so from Dusty to Brian Price and even Riggleman when he took over last year, there's a lot of continuity from that kind of old school style management that had been in place since 2008. Um, so I think kind of a fresh start was exactly what the Reds were hoping for. Um, and it looks at least early on that that's what they're getting. Um, you know, I mentioned Turner Ward as the hitting coach. The one thing we have seen the Reds do at least a little bit early on more than I think we expected them to um, is swing at first pitches. Um, they've been very aggressive early in counts this year. And, you know, I don't know if that's a, an organizational strategy, if that's just an early season kind of thing, because, you know, pitchers haven't adapted to how t- guys are hitting yet. And so that might be very different a month and a half from now than it is already. Um, but it certainly has been at least a little bit of a trend. Um, so I'm interested to see how that develops as they go on. Um, aside from that, uh, the, the pitching is the one thing that I've, I've had the hardest time kind of wrapping my head around. Um, Derek Johnson hired away from the Brewers, had a phenomenal run uh, in Milwaukee the last couple of years with a lot of, I don't want to say no names, but not guys that they expected to be great. Not stars, yeah. Yeah, and he, from, you know, staff top to bottom, maybe the bullpen. You can look at their bullpen, and, and those were some extremely talented arms that he managed well. Um, but uh, they brought him in, and I wish, well, I don't I don't wish they were still using the same pitchers they had the last two years just with a new coach, because I'm not sure he's that much of a magician. Um, <laughs> but there are enough new names and new faces in here to where it's kind of hard to tell if they're just bringing their own style in or how much Johnson's had the impact on that. But um, uh, that's the one thing I'm going to continue to watch as the season goes on, because uh, Reds pitchers have obviously struggled mightily over the last few years. And uh, the early returns, especially from the starting staff this year, have been phenomenal. And, um, you know, I'm obviously Johnson's got uh, – he's got a, a very big part of why that's happening. I just can't quite determine exactly what it is yet. So, yeah. um, But I think – all, all told, I, I'm, I'm happy with the new staff. I think it's a good mix, and they obviously hired some big names from some very successful clubs uh, to make that happen. Just continuing that idea that they're uh, they're trying to win. This isn't this is not the same old Reds we've seen the last couple of years. Um, starting the season with so many division games, the Cardinals did it as well. Saw the Brewers, then saw the Pirates. Couple of series with with teams from the West Coast, and then they're right back in it with those division games again. Seeing this division up close right away, it just has a feel of a division that's going to be just a knockdown drag out all season long, at least from what I've seen so far. <laughs> it's one of the very few divisions in baseball, maybe the only division in baseball where there's no team that's obviously tanking or rebuilding anymore. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's been the Reds the last couple of years, and. Obviously, that's not the case. They you know, ran up a record payroll this year and, and brought in all those new names that you know are obviously concentrated on 2019 because that's you know the last year they've got control of so many of them. Um, and even the Pirates, who, who didn't have the busiest of off seasons, uh, made the Chris Archer addition uh, at the deadline last year in part, you know, largely for this year because they, they kind of knew they were out of it last year. Uh, and they're a team that never really seems to need superstars to find a way to be extremely competitive. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think the central this year is going to be very, very interesting. Um, you know, I keep coming back to this, this red strategy of focusing on one year rental players, so to speak. Uh, that's going to have a major impact on how this, this stretch run goes, I think, because, uh, you know, they're going to be in the mix a lot, 
But with guys like Puig and Rourke and Alex Wood when he gets back healthy, Scooter Jeanette, what they do with him, the Reds could go so many different ways at the deadline that, uh, you know, if they hold on to a lot of these guys, they've got a lot of division games down the stretch post-deadline that that could, you know, skew things one way. If they decide to kind of tear things down mid-season, then suddenly you do have a team that's not playing for 2019 anymore in the middle of Division Two. But um, yeah, I think the fact of the matter is the Central on paper looked like it was going to be plenty good enough before the Reds made their additions. Um, that added a lot of talent to the division. But then what the rest of the teams did, too. I mean, they, <laughs> the Cardinals brought in Paul Goldschmidt. That's the single biggest addition to the entire division, in my my opinion. Uh, the Brewers stayed active. They brought in Yasmany Grandal, who was – the best catcher on the market this winter. Um, and that addressed pretty much the only weakness they had in their lineup too. Um, Cubs didn't do a whole lot, but they're really hoping on a lot of bounce backs. Obviously getting you Darvish back and hopefully a healthy Chris Bryant brings another MVP caliber player to the division as well. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a slugfest all summer long. And I'm ex- well, it was going to be a slugfest with at least four teams before the rest <laughs> decided to jump in the mix. I'm excited to see them be part of it, too, because there's not really going to be any easy games uh, yeah. in the division all, all, all season long. And that's uh, the first time you could really say that in, in several years. So Yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating to watch. Also interesting is that the first time the Cardinals and the Reds will see each other, is in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about this series coming up. Uh, of course, just the two games with this series, but having the opportunity to take this series to Mexico. First of all, what's your what's your take on that? I know some people who love this idea. Some people are a little not so sure about giving up a couple of home games as the Reds are to to take this series on the road. Uh, well, my first reaction to that is uh, there are a lot of very good tickets on sale for Reds home games right now. So uh, I don't think they're sacrificing a lot of uh, ticket revenue um, by sacrificing some home games here. Because if people really wanted to go, they, they could have gone. There, there's a lot of availability there. It has been, um, despite the moves made this winter. Um, but no, I think it's a good thing. It's a, you know we, we talked before starting recording. It's one of those things that on paper you love to see. Baseball expand the game and go play these games, but you know, open the season in Japan the way they did, and you know, get back up to Montreal and play a couple games there. Um, all those kind of things are stuff that I think is very good for growing the game of baseball. Uh, maybe you always want to see somebody else, you know, not your favorite team that does it, because you can watch it independently of that. Because uh, there are some logistical issues, and you know, we're, we're not having a Friday game tomorrow for the first time. I don't even remember the not being a Friday scheduled game. Uh, in years. Um, so we're sacrificing that so they can get down there and get settled and everything else. They're getting a 26 man um, because of the travel and logistic issues that could have come up if there's an injury. So there's certainly some some hoops they have to jump through to make this happen. Uh, but I'm excited. I think it's great for the energy of the game and it's great for uh, fans in Mexico who are obviously huge baseball fans to get a chance to kind of see that come down there and play out. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm expecting it to be a very, very fun event. And um, I'm glad that the Reds and, and Cardinals going to be a part of it. I was talking to the Spanish uh, play-by-play uh, broadcaster for the Cardinals, Polo Asensio, and he's from Mexico and is thrilled with this chance for not only for fans in Mexico to see Major League Baseball up close, but for Major League Baseball fans to see how passionate their fans are in, in Mexico there as well. I think, I, I agree, I, I'm always of the opinion that baseball is not in as bad of shape as uh, Major League Baseball likes to say it is because you go other places and you realize people actually really love baseball. They just don't have access to it. Um, and that's the same. That's the same in the States, whether, you know, you're you're 
you have the access to watch your your favorite team or not. So um, I love that it gives it a little exposure. And I, I think seeing how passionate baseball fans are nationally and internationally just sort of reinforces that there are a lot of people <laughs> who really love this game and who really love these teams and, and a lot of players who are um, excited about the opportunity to, to play maybe a little closer to home or maybe in front of some fans that are, are more familiar with them on a personal level. So I think it's cool. Um, yeah, there are some some strange elements to the, the travel and, and setting all of that up and making sure that everybody's back and ready for the next series that immediately follows it. So that'll be interesting to see play out. But um, I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to, to hear from the guys that are there and, and the experience that they have. Um, in this series, Adam Wainwright and Miles Michaelis go for the Reds. I believe it's Rourke and uh, who's pitching in the second game? Descalfani, uh, I think. Yeah, Descalfani's big. Okay. Uh, so interesting pitching matchups there as well. What are you looking for in this series with the Cardinals and Reds seeing each other for the first time? Because yeah. it's been a weird start to the season for both of these teams, I think. And yep. uh, you know, you always get you always get some fireworks when you have NL Central teams going at it. Absolutely, yeah. I know. I'm looking for the offense to finally show up. I know it's. Like, <laughs> I've, I've, I've mentioned it four or five times already, but it's it's, it's got to happen at some point. And. I just scored a couple runs. I'll, I'll, I don't believe it. Three, three nothing. I didn't see that coming. Um, so hopefully it's one of those things that's kind of you know growing itself uh, as they get further into the season because it's got uh, a lot of depth on the roster and I, I am expecting the offense to get going a little bit. Obviously, you know I know Michaelis has had a little bit of a rough start this season. Uh, Scafani had a bad start his uh, last time out, but he had a brilliant opening uh, start to the season. Tanner Rourke's been a little bit up and down. He said issues getting out of the first inning without allowing runs, but it's kind of settled in after the fact. Uh, I do think that this series does set itself up well enough for there to be some offensive fireworks. Um, you know, I don't think any of the four pitchers have really come out of the gate firing on all cylinders yet. And uh, the best pitchers the Reds have had so far this year, um, Luis Castillo and Sonny Gray, um, obviously aren't pitching in this in this matchup. So no, I'm looking for some, some fireworks as well. Uh, I need to do some more homework on the stadium they're playing in. Um, that's the one thing I don't know about in terms of you know, how big it is, how much the ball carries there. I know they're playing in Monterey, which is – uh, you know, a little bit of elevation, but not not significant. It's not you know seven thousand feet like Mexico City is. So it's only it's less than two thousand. So hopefully it's not going to be too inflated that way. But uh, I am looking for some offensive fireworks. I think there's going to be a lot of players that are kind of looking to to bust some slumps, and and hopefully that can all kind of come together this weekend. I think that. The energy in that stadium is going to uh, play a part, too. I mean, even last year, you see some of these teams that get out and, and play some of these games internationally, and, and there's almost a little extra edge because yep. you've got a whole new audience that's getting to, to see what you can do for the first time. So um, I often worry a little bit about Adam Wainwright in those situations because he cares so much and he <laughs> he's so passionate about <laughs> about those moments that he doesn't always just rein it in a little bit. He gets a little ahead of himself sometimes, but, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, we haven't really talked about bullpens. Um, the Cardinals bullpen has been a bit of an interesting progression to start the season. Guys sort of settling into roles now, but it's not what we all expected the bullpen to look like, I don't think. What's that been like for the Reds, kind of finding the right pieces to follow that great starting pitching? Yeah, so the Reds bullpen... Um... I, last year specifically, it's, it was April 27th that, that David Hernandez returned uh, to the lineup uh, or to the bullpen because he had a forearm strain that kept him out the first couple weeks. And in those first couple weeks, not that anything else on the Reds was actually going well, 
but the bullpen was totally part of that three and eighteen start, and uh, the guys that were trying to help fill in the role that he eventually took over, which was you know seventh eighth inning guy to to get you to Rice Iglesias, um, guys like Tanner Rainey and Zach Weiss, and they signed Giovanni Gallardo and rolled him out for about. 10 earned runs in two innings before they cut him. Um, but once Hernandez got back from that point to the end of the season, the Reds bullpen was a strength. They, they, you know, I guess some of the numbers got skewed again once they got to September and started rolling some other guys out there and they were out of the race. But um, from basically May through August, it was a strength of the team. And they brought everybody back. Uh, I mentioned Hernandez. Uh, Jared Hughes was phenomenal last year and is back again this year. Uh, Rysel Iglesias, they, he, he had one of those weird international contracts when they first signed him and technically was – arbitration eligible for three more years uh they went ahead and hammered out just a concrete salary for him this winter and locked him in for three years and uh i think 24 million total in part because they wanted to use him in less traditional ways than they had um you look at the way that uh, that you know i mentioned Derek johnson coming from the brewers you, you look at the way they used uh cory kniebel and hater and jeffress at the back end of the bullpen last year a lot of guys had saves, and they really, you know, they targeted high leverage scenarios as opposed to pitching seventh, eighth, and ninth inning. And, you know, signing Iglesias to that because I'm getting kind of convoluted here, but uh, if he was arbitration eligible, he wanted the save stats because saves are what gets you to the arbitration raises. Right. They basically said, hey, we're going to give you the money because we're going to use you as our best reliever in kind of an Andrew Miller role, so to speak. Um, so that kind of signaled, okay, the bullpen's going to bring back all their best arms and get used in kind of more analytical. Uh, driven ways than just in roles, so to speak. Um, and that's what we've seen them do so far this year. Unfortunately, they haven't had the success so far this year that we hope they were going to have. Uh, Hughes hasn't looked quite as good early. He looked a lot better last night. Uh, Rice Lake did pick up a save last night, um, but he had looked really rough in his first two appearances as well. Velocity was down a little bit. Um, it's I think it's going to be a strength of this team. Um, they brought in Zach Duke as well. Uh, who's been excellent as a loogie for the last couple of years. He hasn't looked great to start the season either, but I think in theory that's going to get better. Um, I do think it's a group that they can lean on a lot, and I think they will. Um, David Bell's been a little bit quick with his um, his hook early in the season. I think he's been you know more prone to getting guys out before they have a chance to hit the heart of the lineup the third time around. I think that's something that probably will continue. Um, but they've also been carrying that extra pitcher in the bullpen too. They, they've gone with a four-man bench, and that's something that Bell is – specifically said he wants to continue to do um i guess having michael lorenzen be able to go out and play some center field and actually hit a little bit too gives him a little bit more flexibility with that that last pitcher in the bullpen role but um you know i think the bullpen is going to be a strength of this team it hasn't been yet uh but hopefully um Hopefully by this weekend. Hopefully by today, since they've got a lead to hold on to. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's something that will continue to evolve as well, because I think there's a lot of talent down there. Um, Amir Garrett's a guy who I haven't mentioned yet, but he kind of looks to be you – know, I mentioned Zach Duke as the, the loogie. I think Garrett's the guy who's going to be not – he's going to be more than a loogie, but still the top lefty in the bullpen, and he's a former starter as well. So he's got the ability to go two innings if need be in the back end. And, um, yeah, I think it's a, a, a should be a strength of this team once everybody kind of gets going. But it sure seems like they've gotten off to a little bit of a slow start this year. Yeah, it's always a, a stressful situation trying to, to figure out that bullpen, I think. The last thing that I want to ask you is not about this series or about the Major League roster at this point, but I know we have a lot of people who are – uh, will, who will watch this, who are big prospect guys. Um, Hunter Green, obviously, the news about him being down with Tommy John. Tough blow for a kid that a lot of people were looking at. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, obviously you all have been through this with Alex Reyes as well. Uh, you know, top pitching prospects are just such a... 
you know, put them in a glass case and just yeah. everything goes perfectly well. And it never does. Um, it, yeah, he had Tommy John surgery earlier this week. Um, that's after he missed basically seven months at the end of last season because they noticed uh, an issue with his UCL and his pitching arm and shut him down and hoped that that would be something that he could just rest and recover from. So yeah, the Tommy John news is bad, but it's also bad because they lost seven months that they could have had in terms of recovery time because they waited and it didn't work out that way. Um, Obviously, he's one of the, the more talented pitching prospects in the game. He, he's got easy gas that hits 102, 103. Um, he's still only 19 years old, though. And that's the the thing about this that I think we've all kind of tried to put our uh, emotions aside and just think rationally about this. Uh, we weren't going to see him in the big leagues for two plus years anyway, in all likelihood, especially given how slowly the Reds have traditionally brought their uh, their top prospects along. Um, you know, if he's out until uh, July of next year, he'll be a 20-year-old pitching the last half of the season and advanced A ball, maybe double A. And um, I think that's kind of not too – maybe we might see him as a 22-year-old now as opposed to a 21-year-old is the, the, the most optimistic way I think I can, I can put this, is that uh, as tantalizing as a, a prospect as he is and for as long as the Reds have waited for their next ace and for a next good pitching prospect to come up, uh, he obviously had a lot of eyes on him. But I think realistically we weren't going to see him for two, three years anyway. This puts a little bit of dent in that timeline, but it still doesn't really change the long-term plans for him. Um, it was, I think, if anything, it was frustrating when it happened because, uh, you know, I mentioned the Nick Senzel news. Um, we got hit with Alex Wood uh, being out to start the season, Nick Senzel getting demoted and then spraining his ankle and being out for a month. And then the Hunter Green news happened right after the Scooter Jeanette news happened. And it was like, oh, yeah. no, like, the offseason was going so well. And then four bad stories all in a row. And uh, the Hunter Green news was the last one. And I think that was kind of the, the – we'd been deflated at that point enough. We didn't really need to hear that one too. Um, but in, in realistically, it's one of those things that's a bummer, but I don't think it really changes too much the long-term plans, assuming he comes back from it, the, you know, the way that so many good pitchers do these days and knock, knock on wood for that. So, yeah, that's, that's always the, uh, the, not necessarily challenge, but you're always a little leery of what exactly is going to be there, especially with a guy that, that has such good stuff. I mean, that's been the, the conversation with Alex Reyes and of course then he followed it up with a second injury and was out for basically another full season and and he actually made the opening day roster this year and a few days later was back at AAA because he forgot how to throw strikes Um, but I think you know it's all part of that process it's he's been out of of the game really competitively for two seasons so it's Mm. there's some rust there I think but it's always it's always a trick trying to figure out how to balance the expectations for those young guys with the uh, with the reality of what what might be coming. So I know, uh, like I said, people had asked me about him, so I wanted to make sure we got the update. Well, this weekend should be exciting. Um, I'm looking forward to it for a lot of reasons, uh, none the least of which is that, man, again, this uh, this NL Central, um, I'm curious to see how it plays out. So uh, thank you for your time and I hope you have a chance to at least check out some of the series this weekend. Yeah, yeah. It looks like a Saturday I've got a conflict that I'm not going to be able to watch it, but Sunday I've got uh, got blocked off to watch that. I'm excited to see how uh, how it does down there because I think this is one of those things that you know MLB has high hopes for it. There's a reason yeah. why they're sending teams down there to play 
Uh, but they're also going to be watching every last aspect of it to see what they can tweak, what they can improve, and what, what are the best parts about it, too. And so I'm interested to see how, how things shake out because I think that will give us a better clue on what we're going to see when they start playing games all around the world uh, going forward. So I'm excited. I'm very excited for it. And remind everyone where they can find you and other Reds content that are, maybe I didn't ask. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, I'm the managing editor and lead writer over at redreporter.com. Uh, we are the Reds uh, SB Nation blog. And uh, uh, we generally have some pretty good content over there. We try to keep it pretty lighthearted. And uh, sometimes we dive into analytics very deeply. Sometimes we figure out uh, what reminds us about uh, Scott Rowland when we see Matt Kemp at the plate. And it's not analytic at all. And it's just stupid and funny. Um, but that's... Uh, I think it's in part because we've watched the Reds play a lot of bad baseball over the last couple of years. You have to years. write something, right? <laughs> yeah, you got to keep it entertaining when you can. But uh, we like to think we're a pretty good site. And um, it's a good good roster of writers over there. And hopefully we've got – well, one thing's for sure. We've got a lot of new players and new faces in this year. So we're trying to um, be objective and uh, uh, figure out who they've got. And hopefully we'll have a lot of new content once all these new faces start uh, giving us enough stats to be able to break down. So, yeah, come by and check us out. RedReporter.com on Twitter at RedReporter. Uh, and we're pretty active, so uh, see if you can follow us and see what you like. So, and I can objectively say that I think it's a fantastic mix of content. Um, <laughs> I love the the uh, some of the some of the stories that I, I stumble into when I'm there looking for for uh, for other unrelated. Oh well, more like actually baseball related stuff. Um, I'm always entertained and I, and I love that. I love that element to it as well. So you all do a great job. (laughs) Well, thanks again for your time. And, uh, we'll, we'll talk after the series. I'm sure. Yep. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Now, while the Reds did go on to the fairly simple five, nothing win over the Marlins after concluding recording that interview, the Cardinals afternoon was a bit more complicated, although they also picked up a big win after giving up seven runs to the Dodgers, still pulling away with the victory, completing the four-game sweep. So both teams coming in off of victories, both teams coming off of long travel days. So Friday is an off day. Saturday and Sunday, the Cardinals and the Reds will play in Monterrey, Mexico, and then we'll come back and do it all again, diving right back in to that division race. Thanks again to Wick for joining me. Make sure that you're subscribed here. You can check out more coverage at birdsontheblack.com. I'm Tara Wellman, and I'll see you next time.